1: Welcome to another Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Andy Daniel, Social Media Coordinator with MPN, and I'm here with Stacy Wheeler. She's a licensed clinical social worker, and she's worked in the mental health field for 29 years in a variety of positions. She specializes in severe mental health issues and peer support supervision, and she's going to talk to us today about clinical supervision. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
0: So I am also a person with lived experience. I have depression and anxiety. I have worked in my private practice for the last three years. And before that, I worked in community mental health in both Washington State and here in Montana.
1: Great. So tell me, what is clinical supervision? So clinical supervision
0: is meeting with peer supports, either one-on-one or in a small group. And we talk about the clients and what they're doing with clients, which I think is what most people think of as clinical supervision. But in addition to that, for peers, we go over ethics, how seeing people who have the same type of lived experience might be impacting them and their ability to do their job. Um, We talk about resources. We talk about ethics. So we really do a lot. And so it's not just talking about what are you doing with your peers? It's okay. What are you doing with your peers and all this other stuff to help them do their jobs and stay physically, mentally, spiritually able to be a peer supporter because it's hard work.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. Can you talk a little bit about how clinical supervision is different from like employment supervision?
0: I like to differentiate between clinical supervision and what I call task supervision. So your general supervisor is gonna do task supervision. So that is things like, did you get your paperwork done? Are you on time for work? Are you following the rules of this organization? Those kinds of issues that are more general job stuff. And then the clinical supervisor oversees the treatment that's provided by peer supporters and the supports that peer supporters need to do their job.
1: So where do you find these rules for clinical supervision of peer support specialists?
0: So the easiest place is to Google Montana Board of Behavioral Health. And as that site comes up on the left-hand side, you'll see the administrative rules and the Montana code annotated, which is the actual laws that the administrative rules are made from and all your forms that you need for becoming a certified peer supporter
1: or renewing. So uh, you mentioned that other professions have clinical supervisors, right? So how does what you do with peer supporters differ from like clinical supervisors for other like therapists and, and clinicians.
0: Peer supporters are certified, not licensed, and they have a very different role from therapists. Um, their job is actually to not do therapy and it's peer support. So it's all about the shared lived experience and how they can be a model for skills and you know do some problem solving and work on recovery which we don't focus on that in most of the other therapy professions
1: right you don't have to be you don't have to have lived experience to be a therapist but you do to be a peer supporter
0: correct yes I think that it helps a lot, um, both being a therapist and being a supervisor, because again, we have that shared experience. So I'm not just someone coming in being like, oh, so this is what lived experience is like, and this is what you need to do. Um, I have some understanding of that from my own experiences with having a diagnosis, having treatment, having medication, and kind of getting more that idea of how that relationship is important. Because I think a peer support relationship is just as important of a relationship as with your therapist or your prescriber. It's just a different role. So, i disclose to my clients that i see for therapy too and my clients seem to appreciate that i have some lived experience um maybe not the same as theirs but there's enough similarities you know i mean do you take medication do you not take medication how do you balance you know work and health and mental health and family and life in general. So those are commonalities that are helpful.
1: I totally agree with that. You know, the, the best therapists that I've had are ones that have had their own mental health struggles in some way, even if they're not exactly, you know, my diagnosis or my medication or whatever. I, I, it really does make a difference, I think, for if you have somebody who's been through the system somewhat.
0: I agree.
1: So, what things do supervisors need to do to be compliant with the Board of Behavioral Health?
0: So, they updated the rules in December and they've streamlined them in some ways. And so, for supervisors of certified peer supporters, the requirements by rule are that we need to review and sign reports, assessments, and interpretations if there's a medical records request that includes peer support services. So as the clinical supervisor, I would have to sign off and say, yeah, it's okay to do that um, and to send these out. And if there's anything that needs to be redacted or anything like that. The second thing is is that we have to now pre-approve on a continual and ongoing basis, all therapeutic interventions or support interventions. And so that means it's being more formalized. So I'm gonna use the word treatment plan. Um, I know a lot of people don't necessarily like that formalization, but really that's what they want is Does the supervisor know what you're doing with the folks that you see, and is it an appropriate intervention for what's going on with that person? Sometimes I do that as a group, and sometimes I do that, so like, for example, peer supporters that might go into another organization to provide a group or two a week. I would approve the group materials because I because their clientele is going to change. So in that case I approve the materials that they would be appropriate for people in this treatment setting. And then the third thing is is that we must maintain records that show that we have talked about the clients, talked about issues, ethics, dilemmas, those kinds of things. So I, as the supervisor, I have a form that I use for supervision. And so I fill that out each time I meet with somebody and you have to keep those records. This is really important. And I think people get confused about this. You have to keep those records seven years from the last date that you meet with a supervisee
1: so if you've been meeting with somebody for five years then you're technically keeping some of that stuff for 12 right
0: for 12 years yes
1: so what kind of things does the peer supporter have to do uh to stay compliant
0: the peer supporters also have to do their own documentation of our meetings and They also need to keep that for seven years after the last time we meet. And there's more specifics to that. So I actually, for the people I supervise, I have a form that's in a spreadsheet that I send to them that meets this administrative rule. And so they fill it out every month and then they send it to me. So we both sign and attest that this is true using the board's language there. They also have to document their training and keep that for a minimum of four years. And then they need to most likely do progress notes or some type of note record keeping of their appointments. Um, Usually that's dictated by the organization that they work for. And so usually they don't have to worry about that if they work for someone else. The other thing that is newer is that both the certified peer supporter and the supervisor have to notify the board of behavioral health if there is a change in supervisor. And so previously really the onus was on the supervisor for kind of managing all this stuff but they have aligned it with the other professional therapist categories to have the certified peer supporter be more responsible also in their communication with the board
1: how does someone go about finding a clinical supervisor because you have to have that set before you apply for certification so if you're
0: hired on at an organization, generally they will provide the clinical supervisor. So, you know, Jane Doe is the supervisor's of the peers at organization A, so they fill out that paperwork. If they don't have employment and are like applying and need that, they can generally contract with a private supervisor. Um, which I do a lot of that, um, getting, helping people get their certification. And then as they go out and become employed, then we switch to whoever their assigned supervisor is.
1: What do you think has been the most challenging thing for you being a clinical supervisor? One
0: of the more challenging things for me is I supervise several certified peer supporters in a huge variety of settings. So, in mental health, in substance use, in corrections, for me, the hardest part is um, sometimes trying to keep track of what the organization's policies and procedures are, because I don't wanna advise someone to do something that would be like against their organization's policies. But overall, I really like supervising and I find it a fun challenge. Because you never know what somebody's gonna come in and talk about or say, oh, I did this with so-and-so and and be like, you did? Tell me more about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What would happen if somebody was having issues with their clinical supervisor or, you know, if they're not getting along or they're not comfortable with them? What what things should they do?
0: So the first thing I would suggest is to be brave and directly talk to the supervisor. Now, if there's something like a sexual harassment, discrimination, something more like that, that it's not just an interpersonal issue, which is a big issue too, but I would suggest that they then would like talk to their, either their boss's boss or like human resources, things like that. Cause there's more protections for those kinds of things. Unfortunately, sometimes in life, we may not necessarily like our supervisor, but we have to work with them. And so then the person needs to decide if that's something that they're willing to do or if it's time to move on and do something else.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the requirements for clinical supervision there, I'm not sure people that completely understand how the hours work.
0: Certified peer supporters are required to have one hour of supervision, so clinical supervision, for every 20 hours worked. So that is any time that you spend as a peer support, quarter counts. So it's not just your contact hours with clients. It's your paperwork, your training, meetings, all those kinds of things. So if you're employed 40 hours a week, you need t- two hours per week of clinical supervision.
1: And you said that can be individual or in small groups? Yes. How do the small groups work?
0: Um, Generally, well, for me anyways, I you know, we usually, when we get in our meeting, we quickly, I have people tell me I need to talk about two people and three people and one person, and I don't have any today. So I kind of divide the time up and we talk about it. And I think group can be much more beneficial because then you have input from your peers who are your coworkers. And so sometimes I think that that can be even better than individual supervision. Some people don't like groups or, you know, somebody might need extra coaching or, you know, talking about private personal issues that are interfering and things like that, which I will do individually. Um, Sometimes if the group is really cohesive, people feel safe to share those things anyway. And I think that it makes for really good discussion. Cause I think then they find out that they're not alone. People struggle. Paperwork is hard, you know, meeting timelines, you know, and, and for a lot of certified peer supporters, this is maybe the first job that they have to do those kinds of things in, you know, you can't be five minutes late every day. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so. <laughs> where a task supervisor might address that more and disciplinary issues. I would address that as, okay, what is making you five minutes late a day and how can you make some changes so that you can be on work so you don't get on time to work so you don't get fired for being late.
1: So do clinical supervisors share information with employment supervisors? It depends if I think that it is a
0: larger issue, it's ethical issues. Somebody might be at risk for harm. I definitely do share that with their organization supervisor, but general everyday stuff and. You know, I mean, sometimes we problem solve about how to work with your supervisor. So I don't generally share that. And generally, if I'm going to share something with the organization, I talk to the person about doing that. And sometimes, you know, there's definitely circumstances that I'm like, no, I have to tell them. This can't be a secret. Right. Because part of what I need to role model is also healthy boundaries, roles, how to interact with people, how to be accountable, all those kinds of things too.
1: What is the most exciting or do you have any like really great things that have happened as a clinical supervisor? Well, I I'm kind of a
0: the glasses half full person, so you know, working with People with severe mental illness, I have learned that you have to take pride in those small steps. But I have definitely had the experience of supervising someone and you know they get they get promoted, um, they get more responsibility, they go back to school, and now I'm supervising them as a licensure candidate, not only a peer supporter. You know, and I just think that the whole environment for peer support in Montana is only going to increase. And I think we're going to see it used more than substance use disorder and mental health organizations. I know that there's talks about using it in corrections, at pre-release, parole and probation. There's some grants going on that they now have peer supporters working with parents involved with child and family services. And I think that really it can be kind of limitless. Um, I know there's groups talking and trying to work on like youth peer support and family peer support. So to me, that's what's exciting is seeing how this just, can fill so many needs of people.
1: So you talked about the difference between clinical supervision and task supervision, but also I think sometimes people don't understand the difference between a clinical supervisor and a therapist. So can you talk a little bit about that? For
0: clinical supervision, I am not your therapist, I mean definitely i use some of those skills because i want to help people problem solve um, and do that but i am not there for them to like to process their trauma and i definitely because that's not my role so most of the people that i do supervise i recommend that they have a therapist that they see on whatever basis that meets their needs Because they need to take care of their mental health so they can do the work. And I'm part of their employment, so I'm not in a dual relationship doing
1: therapy with them. Are there specific forms that have to be used for clinical supervision? I mean, you talked about how long you have to keep that stuff, but is it specific on what exactly kind of form you have to use? there's form specific forms on the board of behavioral health
0: site for applying renewing and changing supervisors but there's no there's things that the rules require that you have on your documentation but there is no set form for that however i have made forms so that people i supervise. I share those with, and I'm happy to share those with others too. So I have the supervisors supervision notes. I have a spreadsheet for the certified peer supporters notes for our supervision meetings. I have a progress note template, and then I also have a template for tracking supervision or not supervision um, training and so they are required to have 20 hours of training per year and there's some new rules coming out Um, they're not published yet Um, but two of those 20 hours will be required to be in suicide prevention and treatment
1: so I know that when you, we talk about training, and so you're talking about CEUs, continuing education units, right? And you, they, they will audit like 50% of people, right? So do they also do that with clinical supervision? I mean, does the Board of Behavioral Health audit your clinical supervision hours, right? Can they request proof? at like at any time
0: yes either from the supervisor or the certified peer supporter or both so yes they can audit your supervision and your training
1: are you required to send in that stuff uh on a regular basis or when you renew or anything like that or do you just have to keep it for your own records no you
0: have to keep it for your own records and then If you're one of the people being audited, they will notify you. And I think they probably give you around a month to submit documentation for it.
1: Well, thanks for being with me, Stacey. This has been really great. We do have some clinical supervision resources on our website, and I will link those in the description of this podcast. Thanks again. Thank you. Recovery works and recovery is possible.